Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Happy Monday, octave of Easter. In the Catholic faith, Easter is such an important event. It is the pinnacle of Christianity. Without Easter, there is absolutely nothing, and Easter changes everything. It is such a powerful day in the Catholic Church that we celebrate it for eight days. So today's the Monday octave of Easter. We extend the celebration for eight days because it is so vast. It is so powerful. Um, we're a two-man carb. Jess Romero and Paul Clay. Paul, welcome, brother. How was your weekend? Je- Jess, blessed, glorious. Amen. <laughs> yeah, right. And by- yeah. And by the so way, that go ahead, Jess. That's exactly what we want to talk about, Paul. We we want to give people some good answers and good reasons why we as Catholics uh, hold the hold Easter as the highest holy day in Christianity, the very apex of Catholic Christianity, and uh, that's what we want to share with the audience today. But uh, yeah, Paul, any comments? Yeah. Um... Uh, like you said, Jess, uh, this is probably uh, this Easter season here that we're in is uh, is the greatest uh, time for the church. And uh, you're right. I love the fact that we celebrate it over, uh, you know, over a, a longer period instead of just one day, because, uh, as you know, um, uh, uh you could talk about this stuff 365 days out of the year, and it never gets old. Yep. In fact, today's mass reading, and and uh, at Holy Mass was uh, from from Matthew chapter 28, eight to thirteen, where where it talks about the Jews. Uh, the the Jews came up with what's called the stolen body theory, and we'll get into that. Hmm. So. Socrates once said that the unexamined life is not worth living, so let's examine life. Amen. Let's examine life in light of the resurrection. So what is the resurrection in a nutshell? The Bible teaches that the Son, that, that Jesus is the Son of God, that He was crucified and died for the forgiveness of our sins, was resurrected from the dead, and is alive today and forevermore. Around 33 A.D., Jesus of Nazareth was crucified during the reign of Emperor of Roman Emperor Tiberius, who reigned from 14 to 37 AD in the city of Jerusalem in the province of Judea. After our Lord died on the cross, he was buried in a tomb of a prominent Jewish leader named Joseph of Arimathea. Early on Sunday morning, after his crucifixion, several women who had followed Jesus, including Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went to Jesus' tomb, intending to anoint the body with spices and ointments. The woman appeared, the woman wondered, excuse me, who would roll the stone away for them? Suddenly, there was an earthquake, and an angel appeared, and the women found the tomb empty. They feared something had happened to the body of Jesus. An angel assured the woman that Jesus was alive and had risen from the dead. Leaving the tomb... The women went to tell Jesus' disciples what had happened. Before they reached the disciples, Jesus himself appeared to the women 
And over the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to well, well more than 500 other people proving that he had risen from the dead. I actually counted. He, he appeared to 516 people that we know of. Wow. Uh, o- over the centuries, skeptics have developed several objections to the resurrection of Jesus and have proposed several alternative theories about what actually happened to the body of Jesus Christ. In post-Christian America, few people, unfortunately, are aware that belief in the resurrection, it's not a blind leap into the dark, but it's found on fact, it's historic, and it's evidential, and it's defensible. And there's four things that, that we could demonstrate Nobody's going to question the fact that Jesus actually died. Even the enemies of the church uh, uh, admit that. What me and Paul are going to share is that there's evidence uh, that the, 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 for the empty tomb, number one, is, is one piece of evidence that Christ rose. The fact that he appeared to many people in his resurrected, glorified body, we're going to show that's also a strong piece of evidence. And number three, we're going to show that Jesus' resurrection has transformed the world like no other event. Paul? Yeah, well, one, you know, I read once, Jess, I believe it was Dr. Scott Hahn that said, uh, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then more good has come out of a lie than the truth has ever produced. That's a strong argument. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> strong argument. Oh, yeah. Look at the 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 tsunami of goodness that has come about in this world as a result of faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, we wouldn't even have hospitals today, Jess, yeah. were it not for the church. That's right. Yeah. Hospitals, <laughs> hospices, mm-hmm. universities, uh, soup kitchens. I mean, uh, yeah, the print. Literally, press. the Western world has yeah. been forged yeah. by science. Uh, Yes, yes, exactly. So, Paul, I want you to share with the audience because there's a piece of historical evidence. It's not in the Bible. This is where the sacred tradition with a capital capital T comes to the rescue oftentimes because it gives us pieces of evidence that that's not written in sacred scripture. Can you share what we know about the centurion uh, at, at the foot of the cross, St. Longinus? St. Longinus. Okay, he was uh, the commander in charge of a hundred soldiers. And he said, this was truly, this was the son of God. And that's in Matthew 27, 54. He was in command of the Roman soldiers who presided over the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ on Golgotha. He was also the centurion who pierced Christ's side with the spear in order to confirm his death. Wow. Um, After which the wound discharged a rush of blood and water that healed an eye infection, which was causing him to go blind. Longinus played a major role in helping to establish the truth about Christ's resurrection. The Jewish elders who had ordered the death of Jesus bribed the Roman soldiers to spread the lie that Jesus' disciples had stolen his body under cover of darkness and made off with it. Longinus ruined their devious plan by refusing to accept the bribe. He he instead began telling the world the true story of how Jesus Christ's body had risen in the glory of the resurrection. Since Longinus, the soldier wanted no part of their conspiracy 
or their money, the Jews decided they would simply murder this truth-telling centurion in cold blood. But the soldier was a man of courage and integrity, and as soon as he heard about the plot to kill him, he took off his military garb, underwent baptism with several fellow soldiers, and then hurried off to Cappadocia and was now a Christian. Wow, Jess, can you imagine that? <laughs> I, I'm, in my mind, I'm picturing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how how amazing. Um, but the treacherous Jews were not finished with him. They convinced Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, under the emperor Tiberius Caesar, to issue a strict order to his troops to find this Christian centurion, behead him immediately. Longinus was arrested. He prepared himself for his execution by praying throughout the night and then clothing himself in spotlessly white burial garb. The Roman soldiers protested his execution because of his noble character, honesty, and courage. In the end, St. Longinus and the two fellow soldiers who had stood with him at the foot of the cross were taken to Jerusalem and beheaded, and the centurion's destiny as a martyr for Jesus Christ was fulfilled. Mm. I like that. The story of the Roman soldier who participated in the killing of Christ and was then martyred himself lives on as a treasured story that there is forgiveness for sins for every sinner at the foot of the cross. Just what a powerful story. And it just goes to show you when you, anybody who came into the presence of Jesus was never the same, Jess. And that's, that's how I, when I, when I look back over my own life, I know that when I truly encountered Christ, um, uh, when I, you know, it was like an epiphany. It was like, for me, it was like, I said, who turned on the lights and everything just became so clear and I was never the same. And I, and I'm sure that every other person who is in love with Jesus Christ can say the same thing. Uh, the encounter with Christ is life changing. That's right, Paul. I, I can, uh, I can completely identify with what you said there's a given moment in time when I encountered Christ yes. and that's exactly what happened. It's like, it's like a dimmer switch in a light room and, yeah. and the dimmer switch keeps getting brighter and brighter. I mean, to this day, but it's, but, it, but it started in a point in time where I just surrendered my heart to Jesus. And, and so I, I totally understand what you're saying. And I thank God because of those, all those sacramental graces that prepared, yes, it yes. prepared my heart. To surrender to Christ, it's the sacramental graces that prepare the soul for that. Yes, and you know what I like about our our church, Jess, is you know, yes, um, we have the Bible, but we have so many uh, real life stories of the saints uh, that we can um, reference and and just see their incredible courage and and understand that the way they acted, they truly understood that this life. Uh, was um you know if it's if it's given up in the name of christ uh you know we will inherit eternal life and there was no clinging to this life say longinus pray for us we'll be right back don't change that dial now back to jesus 911 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, talking about the resurrection. So we know Jesus' tomb is empty. It's been empty for 2,000 years. In Luke chapter 24, verses 2 and 3, it says, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Close quote. So, Mm-hmm. Why was a stone moved? Is it because Jesus was trapped or stuck inside the tomb? Of course not. He could have he could have walked right through the stone or smashed it into dust. But he moved the stone for us so that we may believe in the resurrection. There's uh the Jews have come up with uh with the stolen body theory. The it's a Jewish theory, it's in today's gospel. Uh, that Jesus' body was stolen. The Gospel of Matthew suggests that the en- that Jesus' enemies explained the empty tomb where the widely circulated story that Jesus' disciples came by night and stole Jesus' corpse while the guards were asleep. But uh, if you read Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 15, especially verses 11 to 15, here's what, what it says, because it talks about the report of the guard. Verse 11 says this, while they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had happened. They assembled with the elders and took counsel. Then they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Verse 13, hmm. telling them, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him while we were asleep. Verse 14, and if this gets to the ears of the government, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Verse 15, the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has circulated among the Jews to the present day. Yes, the stolen body theory. Paul, give me a couple of reasons why we would say as Catholics that the stolen body theory is a lie. Yeah, you know, I was just going to... To say, and you thought that uh, bribes uh, began with the federales over there in Mexico, right? <laughs> <laughs> You've been telling me that all these years, but I have evidence to the contrary, Jess. <laughs> Amen. I stand uh, corrected. Yeah, yeah. The stolen, uh, the stolen body theory is a lie because Matthew's gospel shows that this cover-up theory was a lie. Matthew reports that the soldiers were bribed by Jewish priests and elders in order to keep the truth of the resurrection a secret. The soldiers were told what to say. How could the soldiers know that the disciples stole the body if they were all sleeping? That's a that's a that's a no-brainer right there, right? If they were sleeping, how would they know? Exactly. But uh yeah. Uh the soldiers at the tomb would not go to sleep for fear of death. When they witnessed the empty tomb, they informed the Jewish leaders about what they had seen. You know, you can only imagine the panic, Jess. They they were like, oh man, you know what I mean? We better go and tell, you know, and tell them what happened because, you know, uh they were, you know, they, you know, they were probably shocked more than anybody. And that's just a powerful testimony about these Roman soldiers. Um during the crucifixion of Jesus, the apostles were cowards who had abandoned and denied that they even knew Jesus. Uh, the apostles did not believe that he would rise from the dead. Do you actually believe that these cowardly men 
would have the courage to pass by Roman guards at the tomb, silently move the stone that weighed about 2,000 pounds and rob Jesus' body and leave uh, undetected? No, Jess, first of all, first of all, that would have been a bloody scene if anybody would have tried to get past those Roman guards, right? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Especially as much as they hated the Jews. Yeah. You know, Jess, uh, again, we, we take a lot of this stuff for granted, but uh, I know I just read a lot, but I just wanted to go back a little bit and talk about those women who went to the tomb. Um you know, and the angel, when they went in there, what did he say? He said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Mm. He is not here, but he has risen. As he said, you see, Jess, Jesus is the one who, who told them ahead of time. He says, remember, he's saying, don't you remember how he spoke to you while he was yet in Galilee saying, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? Hey, Hey, Jess, I like this because it also uh, lets us know that uh, the angels and the hosts of heaven are watching. There are witnesses to these things. And that, and so the angels were there witnessing this as Jesus told them to. And, uh, he, but he says, but go quickly and tell his disciples and, uh, and Peter that he has risen from the dead. The woman filled with fear and joy hastened to tell his disciples the glorious news. You know, that would be the reaction, fear and joy, Jess. And likewise, these Roman soldiers were probably filled with fear and they were filled with joy at the moment that Jew they realized they had cooperation with the Jewish leadership and received money. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Also, also, another point, Paul, is that the enemies of Jesus Christ, they took several steps to prevent the disciples from stealing the body, what the Romans did is they sealed the stone, they put a Roman signet there, and then they, again, they provided a guard of soldiers to watch the tomb. Here's something interesting. Well, how many times have you ever seen guards in a cemetery around a gravesite? Nobody believes that the body's going to come back from the dead. Why would you send guards to a gravesite? If you didn't actually believe that this guy was going to rise from the dead, just like he said he would. There's also another point here. It's called, uh, some of the left has come up with what's called the wrong tomb theory. Which states that every person who witnessed the empty tomb was looking into the wrong tomb. That Jesus' body was in a different location. See, the left will come up with anything. But yeah. here's a couple of points that I would say. Number one, the women went to the correct tomb. They knew where the body of Jesus was. The Bible tells us in Mark 15, 47. Also, like you said, an angel greets them and tells the women that the body of Jesus is no longer in the tomb. In Matthew 28, yep. 1 to 6. And, and also, if Jesus' body were still in its correct tomb, his enemies could have produced his body immediately and put a stop. And, and, and they, would have, they would have put a stop to, to this story of his resurrection. And, and the third point that I would make, even if everybody went to the wrong tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, the owner of the tomb, would have corrected everyone and verified that it was the right tomb. <laughs> Paul, I think the strongest, one of the strongest arguments, you know, in a court of law, they say that uh, a district attorney wants at least two witnesses. If they have a he said, she said, they generally yep. will, will not file. They won't file. He said, she said, one on one. The Bible, the, the courts say, give us at least two or three witnesses, which goes back to Scripture. That's what the Bible says in the Old and New Testament. 
everything is established on the witness of two or three people. And guess what? Our courts in the United States use the same biblical criteria. And yeah. so, so uh, this is more than two people saw the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. In fact, I've counted 516 people that we know of. But liberals, what they'll try to do, they'll try to explain away uh, the resurrection with what's called the hallucination theory. You got Dr. Gary Collins. He says, hallucinations are individual occurrences. By their very nature, hallucinations can only be seen by one person at a time. Yeah. And, so, and, and so, yes, Jesus appeared in Mary Magdalene, Mark 69, to the apostles, John 20, 26, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, 13, and to the fishermen on the shore of Galilee, John 21, 14. Then he appeared to more than 500 people at once in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and following. And St. Paul says in this passage in verse 6, that most of the 500 people are still alive, inviting any reader to check the truth of the story by questioning the eyewitnesses. He could have never done this and gotten away with it, given the power of resources and number of his enemies, if the resurrection were not true, Paul. Yeah, yeah. He, what he's essentially saying is, look, don't believe me. You know, you t if you don't believe me, go talk to a bunch of other people. I'm not the only one in all of this. You know, just even more powerful than the 516 witnesses of the resurrection. Like sacred scripture tells us, blessed is he who has not seen yet still believes. And, you know. There, the witness of Christ's resurrection is the world, yes, the, the change in the world, the, the, uh, uh, the countless lives over the last 2,000 years that have been changed. I mean, literally changed. People who have gone from complete, utter darkness and their complete character has changed. I, you know, when, I, when we used to work in the jail, uh, for me, the biggest indicator, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, because, you you know, you had a lot of inmates that, uh, you know, they, you know, remember how deputies would say, oh, you know, uh, they've seen the light or they found faith or it's a jailhouse conversion. But, you know, you could always tell people who were who, who were real and, and, and there was a powerful witness and it literally changed their character. I remember there was this one guy and uh <clears throat> Everybody noticed and they said, what happened to George? <laughs> you know, all the deputies were like, something's different about this guy. And it was because he embraced faith in Christ. And there's, uh, you know, uh, that's the witness. That's the that's the main witness is the, the power of changed lives that Jesus has over and over again with people. Yes, uh, it's the transformation of a person from darkness to light. And yep. it's been it's been happening for two thousand years over and over again. It's just yep. that's the unimpeachable, undeniable truth of Christianity. Right. And it seems like the, the most difficult cases and, you know, uh, uh, you know, like like sacred scripture says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And the answer to that is no, nothing is too difficult for God. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of religious people out there, but. Very rarely do you see somebody who's in complete, utter darkness uh, change completely. You can even see it on their face, just their countenance changes. Amen. Paul, there's a couple of other things I would say about, the, uh, about this hallucination theory. Number one, 500 people saw Christ together at the same time at the same place. There's no such thing as mass hallucinations. Another point, 
Hallucinations usually happen only once, except to the insane, but this hallucination apparently returned many times to ordinary, simple, honest, moral people who had first-hand knowledge of the facts. Also, hallucinations last only a few seconds or minutes. Rarely do they last hours, much less do hallucinations hang around for 40 days. Also, another point. Initially, even the apostles thought he was a ghost. He had to eat something to prove he was not. Hallucinations do not eat. Uh, mm-hmm. the, resurrected, the resurrected Christ did on at least two occasions. Also, hallucinations are not physical. Yet the disciples touched him. They also spoke with him. He spoke back. Figments of your imagination do not hold profound extended conversations with you unless you have some type of some kind of mental disorder that isolates you. I know that unbelievers try to dismiss the resurrection not by meeting the arguments head on, but by simply dismissing miracles, thus raising the whole issue of whether miracles are possible. And so we'll continue talk. We'll talk about uh, the whole area of myth. Uh, and uh, are the Gospels a myth? We'll be right back. Jesus 911, two-man car. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888. 888- Five two six two one five one. Soul Patrol, Jesus nine one one. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. We're talking about some of the uh, some of the objections to the resurrection by the left, by modernists, by liberals, by non-believers, and we were talking about the hallucination theory. I want to talk now about. Another one that they come up with is called the myth theory. The myth theory. Uh, the myth theory is basically, it's an attack uh, by the left, by modernists. They say, ah, the Gospels are a myth. Which, which, which to them, it means, they're, uh, it means that, they're, that they're not true. That they're spiritual. Uh, that they're not, you know, they're symbolic, but they're not, it, it didn't really happen. By the way, this is a standard line of teaching on liberal colleges, universities, and seminaries throughout the country. But, uh, Paul, two apostles answer the myth theory, and they were there, Peter and John. Can you share, can you share what they have to say about the myth theory? I don't hear my friend Paul. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can, I can, hear, I can hear you now. Okay. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Paul. Second Peter 1.16. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. Uh, and First John 1 chapters, I mean, verses 1 through 3. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. For the life was made visible. We have seen it and testify to you and proclaim to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was made visible to us. And we have seen and heard. We proclaim to you now so that you may have fellowship with us. For our fellowship is with the Father and with with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jess, 
You couple that with the fact that every one of Jesus's apostles, um, in, uh, including Ju Judas's replacement, literally gave their lives, okay, as a testimony to this belief. I, you know, th there's, you know, there's a lot of people that give their lives, um, but nobody gives their lives for what they believe is a lie or, 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 or you know, something they knew good and well that uh, Jesus had risen from the dead and they backed it up by giving their own lives. Um, also, yeah. All, also, I just wanted to, to point out that when you look at all of these um, liberal ideas that people want to challenge, you know, that Jesus, whether Jesus or not rose from the dead, we have to remember in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says in sacred scripture, the natural man does not receive the things of God nor can he. That means, can means to have the ability. He does not have the ability to receive the things of God because they require faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. And back in John 20, 29, uh, 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 Jesus tells Thomas, you know, uh, because you have seen me, you believe Thomas, blessed are those who have seen, not seen yet still believe. That's that's one of the essential requirements, Jess. God requires faith. Paul, and, and by the way, that's why, you know, atheists like Bill Maher and Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you why they react so negatively to the to Jesus's name. I'll tell you why. It's because <laughs> in their hearts, in that they're saying, I wonder if I'm wrong. I wonder if he's alive. Because mm -hmm. I'll tell you, nobody reacts negatively or gives a hoot about a dead man. Why is it that the name Jesus triggers people like, again, like I mentioned, some of these atheists, Bill Maher, Hitchens, Dawkins, why does it trigger them so negatively? But Paul, nobody argues about a dead man. Nobody gives a rat's you know what. Right. But Jesus, if he's dead... Why does he continue triggering the left over and over again after 2,000 years? Hmm. Well, the but reason why, Jess, because they know that if we are right, and we are, and, and we they, are. by the way, they, yeah, they see, the, they see the, the assurance in us, and it causes them to doubt, but they know that if we are right, then they will have to give an account for their lives. And so they, they can't even bear that thought, so they will attack you, me, and any other believer for our faith, because they know that that simple truth that if we're right, whoa, woe unto them, right? <laughs> Amen. And you know, and you and you went, you started going down another uh, trajectory about the fact that Jesus's resurrection has transformed the world like no other event. So, what happened as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What happened is unprecedented in all of in all of world history. Because in the span of a 300 years, a small following of seemingly insignificant believers succeeded in turning an entire empire upside down and conquering it. Why? Because Christ lives, the scripture says, we will live also. But the Bible actually tells us what these, these men actually did to the Roman Empire. Paul, can you share from Scripture the effect of these men in the Roman Empire? Um, it, it's Acts chapter 17, verse 6 is the first one there. Yeah, I'm looking at the reference here. I'm 
Hold on one second. Go ahead, Jess, because yeah, it's, I have, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 6, the, uh, St. Luke writes this. He's a historian. He says, these men, talking about 12 apostles, who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They've turned. Why did they turn the world upside down? Because a dead man that they followed is now alive, proved that he's the son of God, and the fact is, now lays now claims every square inch on planet Earth that he came to die for every single sinner. This is something untold of in human history. And then in Acts 26, Paul is standing trial before the Roman procurator and before King Herod. And look what happens in Acts 26, 25. It says, but Paul said, he's, now he's making a defense for himself. But Paul said, I am not mad, most excellent Festus. By the way, he's a Roman procurator. But I am speaking hmm. the sober truth for the king. That's Herod Agrippa II. For the king knows about these things. And to him I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this was not done in a corner. Close quote. Paul is arguing that you, King Agrippa, you know what happened, and this is being spoken of throughout the entire Roman Empire. The fact yeah. is... The, yeah, go ahead, Paul. Yeah, the, the fact is they... Paul boldly proclaimed the truth to, you know, uh, and, and these people that he proclaimed it to represented, you know, the rulers of his day. Um, I love that testimony, Jess. And uh, you, you, you made a point a second ago that how Christianity literally took down an empire, but it just wasn't a world empire, Jess. It was a brutal world empire. There wasn't any uh, constitutional rights to the citizens or anything else. People knew that when they opposed the emperor, and that's what the church did, because the church chose to believe God rather than man, that uh, they could look forward to nothing more than a brutal death. They were thrown into the Colosseums. They were just, uh, they were made human torches to light the parties for the emperor. Uh, the, 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 these you want to talk about uh, terrorism? It didn't. It didn't begin in our time. Just terrorism uh, was has been practiced uh, from ancient times, and in the midst of all of that, the church flourished. People, uh, you know, uh, came to Christ. People recognized that they wanted no part of this world and the evil that is in this world, and they kept their faith in Christ. That, to me, is the greatest testimony. Catholic, Christian, Catholic Christianity faced down the Roman Empire, and these 12 men and, and the early Catholic Christians, they faced tyrants, steel swords. Yes, yes. They faced the lion's ferocious jaws. Yes. They, they faced the fires of a thousand deaths because they were utterly convinced that they, like their master Jesus, would one day rise from the grave in glorified, resurrected bodies. Yes. While it is, it is conceivable that they would have faced torture, persecution, and even cruel deaths for what they fervent believe to be true, it is inconceivable that they would have been willing to die for what they knew to be a lie. Yes. The, yes. Central, the central truth of the resurrection preached by the apostles made these cowardly men into lions of faith. 
That's why Cardinal Henry Newman says, no one is a martyr for a conclusion. No one is a martyr for an opinion. It is faith that makes martyrs. And by the way, nobody would go to death for something that he made up. The apostles were put to death for their belief in the resurrection. If they made it up, at least one of them would have recanted and told where they hid the body. No, the apostles were willing to die for their faith because you don't die for a lie. Paul. Yes. Again, uh, you don't die for a lie. Uh, You die for, uh, you don't get together and huddle up and make a plan and say, hey, uh, let's, 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 you know, start spreading this rumor around that Jesus rose from the dead. There was nothing glamorous about it. Like Peter said, if our hope in Christ is in this world only, then we're, we're to be pitied more than any, any man. Why? Because, you know, to follow Christ was to accept a life of essentially persecution, torture, uh, you know, uh, again, for liberal people who don't want the inconvenience truth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, well, they're going to be in denial, that, you know, because, again, what they have to do, as you know, the call for Christ is, if any man wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. We're all called to, to grab the instrument of death and give our lives. And that just is not appealing to people who refuse Christ. Amen. Jesus 911, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. He is risen indeed. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's risen from the dead and he's coming back. Are you ready? That's the question. J.P. Moreland, a very well-known Christian philosopher, he once said, he wrote the following, within weeks of the resurrection, not just one, but an entire community of at least 10,000 Jews was willing to give up the very sociological and theological traditions that had given them their national identity and become Christians. To this day, Christ's resurrection continues to transform lives. Every day, people of every tongue and tribe and nation are baptized in the name of the risen Christ. I can, I can tell you this. The early Catholic Church was started by all Jews. Early Catholic Christianity was completely Jewish. That's why the liturgy is, is borrowed basically from the Jews. When a, Catholic, when a Jew goes in and sees a Catholic Mass, they say, Ah, I got it. That's the synagogue and temple in one, in, in, in one service right there that you guys call the Mass. One of my favorite Bible verses in John, is in John 14, 19, where our Lord says this, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you will live also. Amen. Amen. That's a cold glass of water on a hot summer day in Arizona, that verse. 
Yes, well, yes, indeed. Yeah, it reminds me of an old song, an old Baptist song, Jesse. It says, because I live, I can face tomorrow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. All yeah. fear is gone. He, because, because he lives. Because, because he lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and because we live and we can take on tomorrow, right? Because he has made us alive in Christ. You know, just as I was saying before, the resurrection represents an inconvenient truth. Mm, and, mm. and that's because that, you know, if you accept the resurrection, that means there will be an accounting, if you will. You know, uh, there will be uh, 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 a reckoning. And uh, those who refuse to accept the resurrection or who doubt the resurrection, those are people who, uh, or like Sacred Scripture says, whoever wishes to save his life, he will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel shall find it. You know, Jess, there are so many people that want to live for the here and now. This is about as close to heaven as they're going to get. And I don't know about you, but when I turn on the news, I realize this isn't heaven at all. This is clear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is clearly, uh, 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 you know, a world that we live in that has been infected. Something is wrong. Everybody knows it, Jess. You can look around and when you see all the horrible things going on in the world, you have to ask yourself, what's wrong? Well, we know what's wrong. What's wrong is mankind, the heart of man is desperately sick, sacred scripture says, exceedingly wicked above all things. And man needs a heart transplant. And the only one that can give us a heart transplant is God. The only one who can take a, a rock hardened heart, Jess, and make it a heart of flesh is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I just want to... I for those that are listening right now, I just want to lead you in a prayer written by St. Ignatius of Loyola. It's, it's, a, it's a surrender prayer to Jesus Christ. So if, if those of you want to start this morning with a surrender prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ, just go ahead, yes. and, repeat go ahead and repeat after me. In the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Repeat after me. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will. All that I have and possess, I give it all to you. To you, Lord, I return it. All is yours. Yes. Dispose of it according to your holy will for this, for, for your love and your grace. This is sufficient for me. Yes. In the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Throughout the day, you know, when you just want to just pick yourself up a little bit, fire off an arrow prayer into heaven. Just walk throughout the day in your mind. Say, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy. Mm. Those are called arrow prayers throughout the day. And what it does, it just picks you up and it, and it just, it makes you purify your intellect and it, and, and it gets your GPS, okay, back on track. Because oftentimes our human GPS goes off to the left. It goes off to the right. We want to keep our GPS. We want to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Yes. Yes. Paul, I want to mention something else about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the very capstone of Catholic Christianity. If you take away the resurrection, Christianity crumbles. And, 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 the, and the resurrection, guess what? There's no middle ground. When it comes to the resurrection, it's either fact or fiction. 
It's either a hoax or history. It's either a miracle or it's a myth. But I would maintain that Christianity begins where all other religions end, at the resurrection. And why would I say that? When you, we were at the county jail, Paul, at the county jail, they used to do police lineups. Mm-hmm. And so you put six inmates together. It's called a six-pack. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, if we put a six-pack together, we can look at, all right, Buddha. He died in 483 B.C. Okay, he's buried six feet under. Abraham, father of Judaism, died around 1900 B.C. He's dead and buried. Confucius died in 478 B.C. Okay, dead and buried. Muhammad died in 632 A.D. in Medina, Saudi Arabia, dead and buried. Zoroaster died in 551 B.C., dead and buried. Okay, here's number six. Jesus Christ died and was buried, okay, 2,000 years ago, 33 A.D. Guess what? He rose from the dead. The resurrection is the basic pillar upon which our rests, our hope lies as Christians. That's why St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Yes. What? The resurrection for Catholics didn't just, it wasn't just yesterday's Sunday Holy Mass. It's for eight days. It's so powerful. It's called the octave of the resurrection. It's not something that we celebrate for one day with song and service. The resurrection is literally the dawn of every new day of yes. our lives and our witnesses. Yes, yes. You, you made a statement and you said without the resurrection, Christianity crumbles. Without the res- resurrection, there is no Christianity. Christianity never even gets off the ground. So the resurrection, uh, in fact, you know, uh, they could they could rename us, you know, uh, the, the the people who have faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because that is, like you said, the center of our faith. That's where that's the meat and potatoes. And because he lives, we will live as well. And that's the, that's the great hope that we have. Here's something interesting. You know, when people speak about somebody who's dead. They will say like, oh, yeah, the late, great, you know, Martin Luther King, the late, great, uh, you know, John F. Kennedy. Notice, notice when the world speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody ever says the late, great Jesus Christ. You know why? We never speak in those terms. You know why? Because everybody knows intuitively that he's alive. And Jesus claims to his authority and power is that he lives and the and the resurrection of Jesus Christ should be burned into the soul of every Christian especially every catholic christian the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that we saw on good friday that demonstrates god's total love but the resurrection on sunday demonstrates god's full power amen alleluia amen paul amen yeah yes um, I hope people that are listening to this message and I hope it inspires them just to go out and to share the, these truths with their friends. Uh, you know, God has given us natural people all around us, your children, uh, your friends, your extended family. You know, you don't have to necessarily uh, go out to the malls and, you know, or, 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 or go door to door like the Jehovah's Witnesses, but 
share the faith, your faith in Jesus, share the good news of his resurrection with all those that God has naturally placed around you because truth uh, is, is basically communicated through relationship. Yeah. Paul, here's one more thing I want to mention, just kind of an, an apologetics angle. Oftentimes, certain Protestant brothers will say, when Jesus Christ said on the cross in John 19, it is finished, that's it. That's when you're justified once and for all. It's yep. over. He said it's yep. finished. You are justified by faith alone. Well, guess what? Romans 4.25 talks about justification. That was the beginning. Look what Romans 4.25 says. It says about Jesus, quote, who was put to death for our trespasses and raised for our mm. justification. Guess what? So justification wasn't complete when Christ said it is finished. He had to raise from the dead on Easter Sunday to complete our justification. So it started when he said it is finished, when he spilled his blood on Calvary and he completed the work on Easter Sunday when he rose from the dead. Here's also a little kind of a, a, a sidebar issue that I think is kind of interesting is that Venerable Maria of Agreda, uh, whose body's been incorrupt for 350 years and who bilocated from, uh, from France over to Texas and, and, and New Mexico about 200 times, uh, Saint Venerable Maria of, of Agreda was told by the Blessed Virgin Mary and she wrote this down, that our Lord Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead at 3 a.m. Sunday mm. morning, 3 a.m. So if you ever wake up on or around 3 a.m., I know the Satanists have tried to co-opt that time and say, yeah, this is the witching hour. This is the satanic hour. No, it's not. That's the hour of the resurrection. If you wake up on or around 3 a.m. every morning, guess what? It is your guardian angel waking you up at the time when Christ rose from the dead, somebody needs prayer, wake up and just start saying a few prayers. Somebody somewhere needs prayers and, and God and your garden angel will put you back to sleep right after you say the appropriate prayers. Paul. I love it. Jess. Um, uh, I actually hadn't heard that before. I've, I've always heard the one where it was, uh, you know, it was the bad hour for Satan uh, but uh, that sheds some new light. I learn something new every day. <laughs> Amen. Jesus 911 two man car. Uh, that, that's a wrap. We are uh, end of watch EOW. We got Gary Machuda coming up next with hands on apologetics coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for me and Paul, wishing you a happy, holy octave of Easter. God Amen. bless. Hallelujah. Amen. He is risen. Amen. God bless you. Keep the faith.